that scene towards the end when he was like, I have holes. (laughs) (laughs) That's. Hey everyone, I'm Skylar. And I'm Gary. And this is the Nerds Inc. Podcast. Gary, you know, I am doing good today. How about yourself? I'm great, bro. I'm excited to have this conversation. Uh, I think this, actually, yes, this is our first review for the pod that we're going to do. So this is exciting. It is. Yeah. Today we're reviewing uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp uh, Quantum Mania, which is the third Ant-Man film in this now Ant-Man trilogy. And I believe this is uh, kicking off phase five or ending phase four. Can you correct me on that? This is kicking off phase five. This is the beginning okay. of the multiverse saga. Perfect. Okay, great. So yeah, this is our first film review and we definitely have more coming down the pipeline. We're going to be reviewing a lot of movies uh, that you know Gary and I have seen that we've talked about before on the pod and looking forward to talking about this one today, Gary. Yeah, me too. I'm excited to hear your thoughts on this. Um, we haven't literally talked about this at all. Uh, so we this haven't. is going to be... Hearing European is going to be a first time for me as well as for the listeners. Right. And I actually kind of like that because I know you and I are always talking usually every day for our <laughs> listeners that don't know. <laughs> Gary and I talk all the time. So we usually kind of give our thoughts about, you know, a, a show that we're watching, a movie that we just saw. And I, I think that's kind of the cool part is being able to also discuss it for the first time on the pod. Exactly. Exactly. So got a few questions for you, my friend, as we kind of go through our review. Uh, the first one I have for you is, what did you think of the plot for Ant-Man and the Wasp Mania? I felt like it was a typical Ant-Man uh, plot. You know, every Ant-Man movie has been a heist movie, and this was no different. Um, I felt like it really fit the tone of what the Ant-Man movies have been, and I like that. Um, I have always genuinely liked the Ant-Man movies, so this plot not being any different work for me Mm -hmm. what did you think um yeah i think that there were some moments that worked really well i thought um you know there was others that were seemed a little convoluted i thought the pacing was a little off in certain areas um you know particularly anytime um you had you know scott lang or ant-man with his daughter cassie um i don't know what it was uh but the the chemistry between the two of them just it wasn't there it wasn't there it wasn't and and that was such a disappointment uh, at least for me uh that i think kind of held up the plot a little bit is that um and we'll kind of go into this as well when we're talking about characters um but i thought that you know, with their relationship kind of really being the focal point of the story it was um, something that, that kind of impacted the plot, at least for me. Um, yeah. But I obviously loved seeing uh, Jonathan Majors as King the Conqueror, you know, really for the first time we got to see him as, as he who remains, I believe. Yes. Um, and, and uh, Loki season one. So that was really neat, but actually getting to see him fully fleshed out as Kang was, was really special. So, I mean, I don't know about you, but, or for any of our listeners or any of those watching on YouTube, uh, but I definitely saw this movie, not because, you know, I'm a huge Ant-Man fan, but I wanted to see Kang. So, yeah. Yeah. That was me too. Uh, definitely full on Kang gang over here. Um, and we'll definitely talk about this more um, in the later aspect of this uh, pod, but mm-hmm. I think we got a decent taste of who Kang is going to be throughout this 
phase five and phase six, I think he's supposed to be the big bad. Mm-hmm. And while I did have some issues, I still thoroughly enjoyed the movie for the most part. Um, mm-hmm. I think my my thing that I really enjoyed the most was probably just the humor in this. I think the humor really worked. Right. I don't know. For, for me, as far as kind of you know discussing the plot here, I thought like, and I understand why because they only had you know kind of a limited amount of time, but right. they they kind of they jumped right into oh Cassie is you know just as smart and capable, and she yeah. she helped design this way to kind of go into the, the quantum realm, and it just all happened very quickly, and then it's like boom, it feels like what within like the first twenty minutes they all get sucked into the quantum realm, and I'm like wait what like can we pause for a second? How did this happen? Yeah. Like how how did she learn how to you know access the quantum realm? I know that she's right. been working uh, with with the Pym family, but like it was just uh, it just it all happened so fast that like you didn't really have time to like approve appreciate that oh they just got sucked into the quantum realm yeah i think they were like you mentioned they tried to fit so much into this movie um i think this movie would have this plot specifically would have benefited greatly from like maybe a a short special uh just kind of talking about what happened between the time of the original snap and the time everyone came back and that's something that really in my opinion hurt phase four is because it came right after everyone came back from the blip but we don't really know what happened in that five years everyone was gone. And they tried to, in this movie, explain to us that Cassie studied quantum physics in five years and was able to understand and send out a beacon into the quantum realm. Mm -hmm. I'm not buying it, but I mean, for the movie, I guess it's okay. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I'm I'm looking at the runtime and the movie was two hours and four minutes. Yeah, it was pretty long. Which, I mean, I think that's pretty average for most movies nowadays, especially for superhero films. I think anybody, you know, people start to get a little antsy if it's two and a half hours or longer. And I think you have to have a really great story to tell and a purposeful Mm -hmm. story to tell if you're going to make, especially a superhero movie that long. Right. Um, but so, yeah, I mean, with two hours and four minutes, that kind of being the average for a lot of films nowadays, it definitely felt like they kind of rushed into things so quickly. And I, I know it's because they wanted the majority of the film to focus on, on kind of, uncovering who Kang is in this this fantastical worlds. Mm-hmm. Um I remember reading kind of one review where they talked about that it was basically like this was the closest the MCU was going to get to um their version of Star Wars. Um yeah. Yeah. You know, and like I kind of feel like Guardians is more uh, akin to Star Wars, so I, I would kind of argue that, but this film also at least stylistically, maybe obviously without some of the humor because James Gunn is is uh is goaded with the the humor and and uh, Guardians. <laughs> but it definitely felt like, you know, the, the cinematographer and the director were like, let's make Quantum Realm like Guardians of the Galaxy in space, but it's going to be in the Quantum Realm. Yeah, and I don't know if you've seen, but the writer and the director for this movie, they have been for the last couple of weeks talking about how they just wanted this to be this really big epic movie and how uh, important they wanted it to be to the uh, MCU. And it's like, I feel like if they had just came in and and done what they had done in the past with Ant-Man movies, which is just be a fun little movie to see after you get something crazy. Like the first Ant-Man came after guardians, I think, or Mm -hmm. came out, no, it came after age of Ultron. And then the second uh, Ant-Man came out after Infinity War. Mm-hmm. Palette cleansers. If that had been what this movie was, I think it would have been perfectly fine. But um, plot-wise, 
it it was hurting because of the fact that I feel like they wanted to go so big with the character that's not as big for the MCU. Right. No, exactly. And I mean, like you, you were saying, like they they were trying to fit simply too much into it. Um, and I don't know, like I, I, I also kind of, you know, heard, um, you know, some people talking about that this this story itself would have fit better with a Fantastic Four. Mm, you yeah. know, and I, I think that I that's that. interesting because, yeah, I mean, Ant-Man kind of being the first one to take on Kang just seemed a little weird to me. Like out of yeah. all of these great characters <laughs> in the MCU, like you have, you know, the Ant family kind of taking on Kang. And I was just like, what? And yeah. I mean, I don't know about you because I, I wanted I really wanted to talk talk to you about this, Gary. But I also felt like this was one of those kind of bait and switch movies. I it remember was. when the first, you know, two trailers came out for this movie. Mm-hmm. It kept showing flashbacks of Ant-Man wanting to be with a younger Cassie and the fact that he had lost yes. so much time with her. And it very much felt like even though they were going to the quantum realm, that there was going to be some element of time travel to it. Yes. That's what I thought. That's what I thought too. And then also introducing Kang and the fact that he time travels, like that yes. made the most sense to me. So the fact that, yes, you know, you have this moment of, um, of, of kind of Kang holding Cassie hostage, but <laughs> you didn't like there was no like oh yeah i'm gonna send you back in time so you can be with her when you were younger which is what the trailer indicated yes so i'm i'm a little peeved about how they did they did the marketing for this because i don't feel like it it was accurate at all what do you think yeah and that's my biggest gripe with the movie um as much as i enjoyed the movie and as much as i love the movie actually i will defend it against anyone who hates it but this movie had no stakes uh and that's why it didn't work for me because you expect me to believe that Scott, his biggest issue, his biggest motivation is wanting to have more time with Cassie and he's missed birthdays, but you're not giving us a villain who tries to actually give him that. Like he says that, but he doesn't actually give him that. So there's nothing that he actually has to fight for it's I'm fighting to save my daughter from this guy, but that's it. That's not to me. That's not big enough, especially for a villain like Kang who has the ability to time travel like they've shown and that they've given us. Um, I think that that was a big letdown, but I also think that as I really sat back and think about this movie, I think that Modoc should have been the main villain instead of Kang. No, and I, I've seen that uh, as well. And I, I agree because I think just with his size, um, as being the new big bad of the MCU. And then obviously the character of Ant-Man, I, I certainly agree that he deserved, yeah. I think, m- more of a formidable matchup. I agree. Which I think this leads perfectly into my next question for you, my friend. And that is, uh, which characters stuck out to you and why? Uh, so I'm going to list two that I think kind of carried the movie um, in regards to just, not necessarily like performance, but just in regards to lasting impression uh, first is going to be modok i think darren cross coming back as modok was perfect um and i think and again this is why i think he would have been a perfect villain having him be subjugated to kang and have him be the one that's feared across the quantum room and have it where kang uses him really as like the aim the gun that he aims at everything and already with that history between him and Scott and him and Cassie, like you I felt more tension. I felt more uh, stakes, really more conflict between Scott and Darren and 
Darren and Cassie than I did between Kang and any of the Ant family. Because Mm -hmm. the way that they said, he had already had history with them throughout the first movie. So that was a missed opportunity. And plus, like his his many jokes throughout and just the way that his face looked, uh, that was just that was just perfect, honestly. And then when they, they gave us his backstory and they showed it, they didn't just tell us, they showed it. And I think that's the biggest thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you and I both know, Skylar, when it comes to making movies and making TV, the biggest cardinal sin that you can make when it comes to it is telling instead of showing. And I feel like they did a lot of that with Kane. They just told us instead of showed us. But with Modoc, they showed us. And I think that's the thing that made me resonate with him a little bit more. Um, and then my second character that I think had the most lasting impression was the goo guy. I think his name was Zeb or whatever. Um, I believe the guy who was in the first two Ant-Man movies is the one who played the voice for him. Uh, I can't remember the guy who was the Russian. I think he did the voice for him. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was great. Just that that scene towards the end when he was like, I have holes. <laughs> that scene was just great. Um, I just liked him just because he was just, you know, completely funny and just very lighthearted throughout. And I think he had the most levity that actually landed in my opinion, him and um, the, uh, the character uh, who could read minds. I can't remember his, his name either. Mm-hmm. The guy from the good place. Yes. Yes. I that's love that's where I know him from. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> what character stood out to you? Yeah, so um, no, I like the ones that you listed. I think the the two that really stuck stuck out to me um, are, of course, going to be Jonathan Majors as Kang. Once again, that's why I was going to see the film to begin with, and I mean, I'm just a, becoming a really big Jonathan Majors stan. And Same. I think even in the trailer, I was kind of captivated by what I was seeing in just like those limited seconds that we had, and I knew yeah. that he was going to kind of take control of the film. So mm-hmm. it really did feel like more of like you know Kang and you know, the quantum mania realm than it did (laughs) Ant-Man and the Wasp. It did. It didn't feel like Ant-Man's movie and and many parts of it. It was like, no, this is Kang's movie. It It really was. So, and I mean, I'm not, I'm not complaining about that at all. Cause like that was my favorite part of the film was anytime Kang was on screen. Mm -hmm. So, um, gotta go with Jonathan majors. I think with every role that I've seen him in so far in his career, he has brought such a thoughtfulness, um, such a calculation, each word um it's almost very like alan rickman the way that he chooses his words and i gotta say as an actor man like i love an an actor who can really like appreciate the script that they have and really you know kind of take a bite out of it you know really make it theirs and i i think jonathan majors does that in such an excellent way as king so every time he was on screen i was captivated by his performance so uh, kudos to him. Um, I definitely think this was a great launching point, though, as we agree, it's not the best hero for him to be fighting for the first right. time. Um, but I think it's a great launching point for what we could see. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk more about that, of course, uh, from my second favorite. Uh, and this might surprise you, uh, but I really enjoyed uh, Katie M. O'Brien as Gentora. And she was one of yeah. the people, um, one, of, one of the natives, quote unquote, of the quantum realm. And mm-hmm. I thought that, you know, anytime she was on screen, like I wanted to know more. I wanted to know more right. of her story. I wanted to know more about her people that have suffered at the hand, the hand of Kang. Right. And the fact that he kind of came into their world and just made it his. And as soon as he got his technology back, um, mm-hmm. that he he made everybody there suffer. And so 
that story was one of the most compelling uh, side stories for me. Um, and honestly, I cared more about the people of the quantum realm than I did about <laughs> Ant-Man and his family. I'm like, Same. and, and, you know, now that we're talking about characters, like, honestly, like aside from Kang and once again, kind of the people in the quantum realm, Scott Lang, Cassie, Hope, all like they all felt so one dimensional. Mm-hmm. Like they had like one objective, the entire movie, it never changed. It was yes. like this. And I, I heard, uh, I know NPR was talking about this as well. And I wholeheartedly agree that it really felt like Scott Lang's entire motivation. The whole thing was like, Cassie, I love Cassie. I have to save Cassie. Cassie's my world. But then once again, when he was on screen with Cassie, um, and, and the actress, um, Catherine, uh, Catherine Newton. Yeah. Yes. That anytime they were on screen together, they, there was like a lack of chemistry or, or maybe it was the writing. It's really hard to tell, but like, it just, you know, it didn't feel like that, that familial father daughter, you know, relationship or the fact that like, I obviously they've spent time apart, you know, during the blip, but like, right. There was, there was just like no closeness at all. And the fact that she was immediately following in his footsteps and kind of going to jail, they were just like rushing so many intricacies of their relationship in this film. And it made Cassie one dimensional. It made Scott Lang one dimensional. Um, I did think that Michael Douglas as Hank Pym was having a ton of fun in yeah, this movie. He was, um, he was just, man, like he was, <laughs> he was just vibing like him and Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah. I, th- I also thought like with Michelle Pfeiffer, like that she, they like made her hold on to these secrets the entire movie and it didn't really make sense. Don't get know? me started on that, bro. You Don't know, get me started on that. <laughs> it's just like, it, it's just, it, it's a really telling point when like the heroes of this story are not the best characters in the movie. Like mm-hmm. that, that's saying a lot that like you, you crafted this cool villain, you crafted this really expansive world, this really rich world. We want to know more about the blob guy. We want right. to know more about the natives. And yeah. then you give us the ant family and they literally felt like a, like a white sheet of paper with nothing written on it. That's exactly. what it felt like. I completely agree with you on that. And I think to your point about the natives of the quantum realm, I hope we get like a special or a mini series about them. Cause I really would like to see more maybe about their past or how Kang subjugated the entire quantum realm. I think that would be interesting to see in like maybe a special or a mini series, but um, yeah, I, I really struggled to really connect with the ant family. I think um, Paul Rudd did really good in trying to bring Ant-Man back to life and you know, give him charisma, things like that. He acted really well. I blame the script for a lot of this. I think the script was just really, really weak. Um, And I think that they wanted to try to, again, they wanted to try to set up a really big story without thinking through how to make that story work for the main characters. Mm -hmm. And that's unfortunate because to me, what sold the first two Ant-Man movies was the characters. You know, you had Luis, you had uh, T.I.'s character, and uh, again, I can't remember the other guy's character's name either, but you had these characters that were completely sidelined in this movie, and then you wanted to focus on the Ant-Man family, and you didn't really give them much to work on. Mm-hmm. Um, I think even with Janet, her character, she had a little bit more motivation than Scott did, but even then, it was still kind of weak and flimsy because it's like... Kang offered her the ability to go back and have time with uh, Hope, but it came like 
all the way at the end. It wasn't something that was a constant thing. And I think that was the biggest drawback for this movie. Mm -hmm. And this goes perfectly into what about the film didn't work for you? So we've been talking about it, um, but honestly, it's, it's really just the stakes. Um, one of the key building blocks of a good movie, of a good story, of a good script is stakes and conflict. Um, throughout this movie, I never really felt scared for Scott, for Hope, Cassie, any of them. Um, I was hoping I would come into this and see either Scott die or see Janet die or see someone die or at least at the very least get stuck in the quantum room which is what and the trailer hinted at exactly. didn't give us <laughs> and the sad part about it is that was the original plan they had written it in the script filmed it and everything but then I want to say they said like a month before release they went and reshot it and gave us that ending and what? yeah I would have been okay with it if they had made Luis do the voiceover at the end and that's my other issue is why was Luis not in it? And they, again, it, the director came out and said, we couldn't see anything in the movie that made sense for him to be in there. And I'm mm -hmm. like, you had Scott reading his book at the beginning of the movie. Let Luis do that. Like that would have been perfect. Yeah. The whole Scott narration, you know, at the beginning and the end didn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. No, it just didn't fit. Like this isn't the movie where you have an inner monologue. It, it just <laughs> no, isn't. It's like not. Scott Lang should never be doing an inner monologue in a movie. It always works when Luis is doing the narration. That's what people love the most. Well, you know who it works perfectly for is Deadpool or Spider-Man. It does not yes. work for Ant-Man. <laughs> exactly. That's never been Ant-Man's thing. Like Even Scott Lang has never done that. So I don't know why they decided to do that in the movie. It just mm -hmm. didn't work. What didn't work yeah. for you? So I have a comparison for this movie, and I want to know oh. your thoughts. If I'm being If I'm being too harsh, let me know. And for those listening, let us know in the comments if I'm being too harsh. <laughs> I enjoyed this movie for a lot of things. Mostly Kang. Mostly the world. But if I had to compare this movie to another MCU movie, it would be Thor the Dark World. This, to me, feels like Thor the Dark that's World with, with a better villain. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's very we, had, we had a better villain. And I think what really didn't work for me was, you know, part of what you said, the stakes. Um, anytime, you know, Ant-Man was jumping off a ledge or even when Cassie was falling, like they, they had it, they had their suits, their suits had the powers they needed. They could shrink, they can get real big. Like the fact that, you know, Cassie was kind of jumping right into the quantum realm and like, oh yeah, I'm talking to people down there. I sent down a signal like within the first 20 minutes. Yeah. And then on top of that, she has a suit and she knows how to use it like to right. some degree, right? Like we do see her kind of develop her fighting skills and that kind of does make for a good comedic moment. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like she's like such an expert with it. And like all of them know how to use their suits. And like some of their scenes, it was like, are these the Power Rangers or are these the Anthem? <laughs> because you just give them a suit and they know how to use it. Yeah. And so I think that that's part of what didn't work for me is that like how effortless it felt yeah. for them to use their powers, for you to, for them to use the the, the, the PIM particle. Yeah. Um, it was just like, it, it felt very kind of bubble gum. Oh, everybody's mm. going to be fine. Like even at the end when, when kind of Scott stayed to fight Kang and finish him off. Yeah. You think like, oh, this is the moment he made his sacrifice. He's staying behind. Right. 
and then the portal opens like they're like in the other side for like five minutes and it might have been longer in the actual movie world but it was like right. less than five minutes for us and watching in the theater exactly. and then the portal opens and it's like nope he's rescued scott's okay right and it's just like the, the stakes felt so incredibly low and it, it made me kind of not really on the edge of my seat and like even in a superhero film like that's the reason why the mcu has been kind of falling off with phase four and now even starting phase five is because you don't feel like those stakes are there like you don't you don't like there's no there's no real need to care if this character lives or dies because we're just not having that right now exactly and i want to use an example to kind of piggyback on what you're talking about with stakes top gun maverick had incredible stakes Every stunt they pulled, every time someone was in one of those jets, you could feel that they were literally fighting and playing with death. I didn't feel that in this movie. Now, I think I may like it a little bit more than you, um, but I still have a problem when you introduce a character like Kang, who in the comics has gone toe-to-toe with the Fantastic Four, the X-Men, and the Avengers, and has won on multiple occasions, and you want to bring him up against Ant-Man, and some people say he's dead. I don't think he's dead. I think he's stuck in the uh, time engine. But still, like, you don't you don't have him, like, actually beat the heroes, or at least, at the very minimum, trap them in the quantum realm. It's hard for me to feel invested when everything just comes too easy for the heroes. Mm -hmm. So with that being said, I have a question for you. Okay. We both love Kang in this movie. What do you hope to see from him going forward? So part of what you just said, which I really liked is that I want to see Kang curb stomp some people. Like the guy talks about, he mentions to Scott Lang when he's in the prison cell is, you know, or I, right before that, when he first meets him is like, have I, have I, have I killed you before? Right. Are you, are you Thor? Are you the guy with the hammer? Remember you asked him that? <laughs> so it's like, this dude has killed Thor. Yes. And then an army of ants are like overwhelming him. Okay. Right. Sure. Marvel. <laughs> sure. You literally are giving, you're setting this guy up to be super OP and then you, he gets nerfed by some ants. Like, right. eh. What I want to see is I want to see him be the next Thanos. They're, they're setting him up to be as powerful as Thanos, if not more so. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe that's the whole point of like, oh, he gets kind of beat by Ant-Man and he learns his lesson and all of his variants are like, all right, we're, we're going to take on the Avengers now and we're, we're, we're attacking this timeline. But like, I do want to see what are the real scope of his, his powers? What can he yeah. really do? Because for casual fans and for people like myself that I'm not familiar with Kang in the comics. I'm not, you know, like mm -hmm. I, I learned about it from reading online. I've learned about it from you, but I really want to see what he's capable of. And I don't, I thought we saw like maybe 10% of his power and what he's actually capable oh, yeah, of in this movie. And it, it almost kind of reminds me of like those shaggy memes from a few <laughs> years ago where it's like, I, I can only use 1% of my power because otherwise <laughs> the world will explode. I want to see Kang make the world explode because like yeah. that is what's going to get us back invested in the MCU. Mm -hmm. Infinity War did it. We yeah. got to get to that level again because right now you're introducing new characters and you're expanding this phase and this new uh, generation of Avengers. But right now we don't really care about the characters. So make us care. I completely agree with you on and that. And Kang can do that. He really can. Um, and I think the fact that they have Jonathan Majors in the role 
really gives them the ability to get get there. But you, they got to give him better writers. I'm sorry, but um, I think his name is Jeff Loveness. He was not he was not the writer for this movie. He should not have been tasked with writing for Kang. Um, I think again back to what I said earlier. If he would have had the main villain as Modok, I think he would have killed it. But uh, his writing for Kang just Jonathan Majors made the role better. The writing kind of suffered for it. Um, I'm with you, and I want to see Kang kind of just go off and curb stomp the entire MCU. But I want, and I'm about to get on the soapbox for a second, because ever since the movie came out, I said this, and people don't believe me. I believe this Kang is he who remains in Loki. Really? People said, no, there's no way that he who remains in Loki was killed by Sylvie. They were outside of time at that point. So theoretically, this could be his origin story. Since we know in the MCU, time isn't linear. It's more circular. Right. So this right. could be where he starts. He gets sucked into the time engine. He comes out, since we know from the writer and the director, he's going to come back for Kang Dynasty comes out during that time he sees what's going on and that's what causes him to turn into he who remains and tries to keep the sacred timeline hmm. that is my theory i saw uh new rock stars i think post that same theory on their youtube channel and i'm kind of mad that i didn't post mine first that way i could claim uh the rights to it but <laughs> uh i've posted it in multiple nerd groups and stuff so i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna claim it that way but yeah, that's yeah, what I want to see. You're claiming it on the pod. It's fine. <laughs> exactly. No, and you mentioned writers. You know who they need to bring back is Christopher Marcus and Stephen McF McFeely. Exactly. They wrote Infinity War. Bring them back, man. Like clearly the writers that you're bringing in into these rooms, uh, they might be new. They might have worked on other projects. But like if you have tried and true writers and, you know, maybe they're burnt out, maybe they don't want to come back. Obviously, I don't know. Right. But like if you have tried and true writers that have like told these epic scale stories, then mm -hmm. I mean, maybe they're saving them for the next Avengers. Who knows? But I think uh, just... Jeff Loveness is supposed to be writing King Dynasty, mm. which is kind of scarier at this point. Uh, wait. So, I, well, I know that's the director. I know they're bringing in the director who did Shang-Chi. Right. He's doing the King Dynasty. Mm -hmm. So I'm excited for that. But once again, the directors can only do so much if the writing is what it is. Exactly. So. And didn't uh just to kind of touch on this real quick, didn't uh McFeely and then they do uh Winter Soldier also? They did, yeah, yeah. They they brought them. I know the Russo brothers really liked them. Um That's a and, great that's a great combo. Yeah, it is. And I think that, that Kevin Feige is desperately searching for his next Russo brothers uh combo and I mean, man, he better find it because I don't know I, I as far as I know, you know, he has to obviously sign off on all of these ideas. Mm-hmm. You know, someone was like, oh, we're making King the next bad, right? And Kevin Feige's like, absolutely. And then let's put him in an Ant-Man movie. <laughs> Kevin Feige signed off on this, huh? Right. I, I don't know what's happening. We might have to have a conversation about what's going on with the MCU one day. For sure. For sure. But final question for me, at least. Uh, how does this film for you progress the MCU? It's a good question. I think aside from setting up Kang and his variants, mm -hmm. I don't really know 
how this fits into the broader scope of it. And once again, you're talking about it kicking off phase five. This is a really weak entry to start off phase five. Like once again, it's not a terrible movie. I don't want anyone listening to think that I hated the movie. I think it was meh. You know, it was to me, it, it was mid. It was mid, which I think was most of phase four for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's not terrible. It's not bad, but it's also not good or great either. It's like somewhere right. right in between. And so as far as like the larger scope of the phase and what we're hoping to see, I think this entire film was built to set up Kang and, mm-hmm. and what we can kind of expect to see of him in the future. And maybe we understand by watching this film, why his variants start coming after this timeline. Yeah. Um. So that that to me is how it fits in the broader scope of things. I don't know because there really wasn't any significant development between the ant family. I don't know how it really impacts them and how it's going to impact them other than, you know, obviously probably Cassie's going to end up on Battle World too. That's it. It's going to be Scott yeah. Lang and his daughter on Battle World. Like I think mm-hmm. that we can kind of, you know, pencil that in. Right. Um what do you think? I'm on the fence. Um I agree with you in the sense of I don't think it really progresses the MCU much, but I also think that it does give us a good introduction to Kang. <sighs> My issue with that, though, is a lot of phase four, like you mentioned, felt just like individual stories just being thrown around. And while I love a good individual story and a good solo thing, I don't think if you're making an interconnected universe that builds towards a new big story that works. I think it worked for phase force for the most part, because we needed to have a reset. You know, we needed to come back, get introduced to new characters since a lot of the old ones died out. Um, We needed to also expand the roster and, you know, build this multiverse thing like we needed to, but it kind of faltered towards the end and going into the beginning of phase four or phase five because of the fact that the writing really underdeveloped a lot of these characters and like you mentioned you know the the poor chemistry between scott and cassie really hurt this film and really hurt the ability to really see this go further into what the mcu could be Mm -hmm. so then my final question for you my friends as we wrap up here is, do you think that Ant-Man needs more standalone films? Why or why not? No, if they're going to be like this, <laughs> um, and that's, that's saying something because I enjoyed the movie, but if you're going to give me an Ant-Man movie and first off, this, this was called Ant-Man and the Wasp and hope got shafted in this movie. <laughs> She like did. she literally did not get much to work with. And yeah. I'm mad because I think Evangeline Lilly really is an amazing hope Van Dyne, but they just did not give her enough to work with. The writer, the writers like barely gave her any dialogue <laughs> at all. Right. I think she had like maybe five or 10 lines in the entire movie. It was like, Oh Scott care for your daughter more. Let's save her. Like, what are they doing to her? Right. Or I think most of her lines were literally mom, what are you hiding from us? Like, Come on out. But if the, if you're going to give us another Ant-Man and the Wasp movie, give me more hope. Give me Luis and the crew again. And give me something fun. Like, give me something entertaining. Nothing too big scale. And just, like, have fun with it. 
don't try to make it an epic. Don't try to be this Avengers-esque type movie because that's not Ant-Man. Even in the comics, Ant-Man, he's on the Avengers, but he does not have Avengers-esque comics. So just stick to what you are. Do not try to get outside of that. Uh, There was a segment on ESPN years ago uh, called Know Your Role. (laughs) Know your role with Ant-Man, please. Do you think uh, Ant-Man needs any more standalone movies? No, 100% not. (laughs) I mean, even if you brought in like Steven Spielberg to direct it, I would say no. And that's saying something because I I do love me some Steven Spielberg. But no, like honestly, I I agree with you. I think, you know, Ant-Man was obviously pivotal for the Infinity Saga. And I kind of like how they gave him kind of like a very special role of being able to kind of bring people back. Yeah. But like he's played that role. And like you said, know your role. He's not going to be that same pivotal character for phases five and six. And if you try to make him like that, we're all going to be like, really? Come on. Yeah. Honestly, Ant-Man, Ant-Man, like if you're going to continue his story, like it's got to be in a show. It has to. That's a great idea. I think what they're building towards is obviously with Cassie being kind of a part of like the young Avengers. I know there's been some talk about that and and some Mm -hmm. speculation. And once again, they need to develop Cassie more because right now, She's about as, as compelling uh, of a character as a wet paper bag. And that's that's really not the actress's fault. Like it's, no, it's, it's, it's the writing. It's it's what they gave her to work with. But I want to see if they tell her story and if they try to do a Young Avengers movie, like give her a show first. Right. You know, just like they did with Hawkeye and how they kind of passed the torch to Kate Bishop. Like, you know, do things like that. I, I think, you know, you and I have talked about that that some of these – um, kind of smaller Marvel characters that aren't necessarily Avengers level, or even if they're a part of the Avengers, it's, you know, for a few series or two, like give them their shows. Like, you know, right. that that's fine. You know, like the shows, as we've kind of talked about, don't necessarily need to progress the universe forward. But if you want to right. tell a side story or a comic story, a part of it, like what they did with She-Hulk, mm-hmm. like give, give them their show. And that doesn't diminish what they're trying to do, but save the films for these epic level stories because you're, 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 Expecting an audience to come fill these seats, you know, post COVID, that's not an easy thing to do. It's, it's not. not. And that's why obviously Top Gun Maverick is so highly regarded because it made people want to go to the movies again. Mm-hmm. But in the day and age of streaming, my my concern, and I'm kind of getting on my soapbox now, but in the, the day and age of streaming, like if, if you, you know, Marvel and Kevin Feige are going to keep giving us these movies that are very meh. Like yeah. pe- people are going to stop going. They are. Mm-hmm. They're going to be like, I'm going to wait for this to appear on Disney plus right. and I'm going to watch all the Disney Marvel shows. And then I'm going to watch this on Disney plus. Give exactly. us a reason you gave us Kang. And that, that was reason enough for us to go see the film. But then everything outside of Kang was lackluster. So I don't think the Ant-Man needs any more movies. I don't think necessarily Thor needs any more movies. I think there's a lot of these core Avengers that we saw from, you know, before phase four that, that can kind of get sent out the pasture or, or, you know, give them shows or give them a, a special, like we talked mm-hmm. about. And like, let's start, let's build up now. Like, like you're in phase five, you got Kang. Like, I really hope to see them really kind of reach for, for higher stakes and for better comic adaptions for sure. Yeah. I completely agree with you on that. And I love that you brought that up about kind of giving these older uh, OGs from the MCU some, essentially time away from the big screen because you know one thing that kind that really just 
doesn't work anymore right now. Specifically, like we see with Ant-Man and as we saw with Thor, is trying to kind of force feed these stories with these characters and then not taking the proper time to truly develop the story for it. So, yeah, I agree with you on that. Before we end this, though, I want to know, on a scale of 10, what would you rate Ant-Man? Mm. So with one being the worst and 10 being the best, I think, you know, I'm pretty harsh with my one out of 10 ratings. <laughs> um, I'd probably give this 5.8. 5. That's 8. not bad. That's yeah. not bad. I, I expected that. How about you? Uh, I'm being generous uh, just because of the fact that I laughed throughout this entire movie. But um, I'm going to give it about a seven. And yeah, a seven that is, that what is I'm a, that is an IG IGN level generous <laughs> where they give everybody sevens. You're 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 so IGN needs to hire you, my friend. Honestly, they might need to because some of their ratings I've seen recently for some movies I'm kind of questioning. Fair, but Skylar, this has been great. This has been fun. It has, and everybody, I'm Skylar. I'm Gary. And this has been the Nerds Inc. Podcast. See you guys next week. Y'all have a go. Hey, everyone. This is Skylar with the Nerds Inc. Podcast, here to say thanks for listening. And if you're enjoying our weekly discussions, please leave us a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Ask us a question. Provide your thoughts on our discussions, and we may just talk about it in a future episode. Thanks.